everyone. I'm Tim Porter O'Grady, a clinical professor at Emory's Nell Hodgson Woodruff School of Nursing and senior partner at Tim Porter O'Grady Associates. I'm thrilled to be back here today with you all for the third installment of our wildly successful Conversations from the Edge webinar series. I'd like to welcome back my esteemed colleague, Sharon Pappas, Chief Nurse Executive at Emory University as well. Sharon will be moderating the question and answer session following the presentation. Now, for those of you who have participated in this webinar series before, I wanna welcome you back again. We greatly appreciate your participation and your thought-provoking insights from the last two sessions that we've had. Um, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that our previous conversations have been incredibly engaging They've been timely and just what is needed to respond to the new challenges that are emerging in our profession. If you're new to the series, this is an opportunity for you to join us in a pivotal discussion on how we can encourage a different leadership capacity, one that challenges some of our historical underpinnings and notions of nursing leadership. The webinar series is an incredibly unique opportunity for us all to discuss topics that are important to you and I as nurse leaders and that are imperative as we consider the implications for our profession going forward. Now, we're really excited about this third topic in our series, value-informed nursing, building the plane as we are flying it, which is uh, typical to our role as leaders these days, featuring our guest, Dr. Olga Yakusheva. Dr. Yakusheva is a professor in the Department of Health Management and Policy, the School of Public Health, and the Chair of Faculty in the Department of Systems, Populations, and Leadership at the University of Michigan School of Nursing. Dr. Yakusheva is an economist. Her research interests are in health economics and health service research. Her area of expertise is economic, uh, or economic metric methods for causal inference, data architecture, and secondary analysis of big data. That's a big mouthful. Uh, the primary focus of Dr. Yekusheva's research is the study of the work of nurses. We are thrilled to have her here today to offer her insights and to get our conversation today started. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone to submit any thoughts or questions they have into the Q&A box uh, for the Q&A portion of the webinar that will follow uh, Dr. Yakusheva's presentation. Remember, your thoughts and questions are what stimulate us to facilitate a considered and thoughtful discussion following the presentation. So please do not be shy. Uh, Sharon Pappas will be facilitating that process. With that, I'd like to turn the webinar over to uh, Dr. Olga Yakusheva. Welcome, Olga. Thank you. Let me take a minute to share my slides. Well, thank you for the introduction, Tim. It is great to be here. First, I wanted to start with some acknowledgments. I'm a member of the American Nurses Association Enterprise Research Council an independent economic advisor to the American Nursing, Nursing Association Enterprise. I am funded by the enterprise as an independent contractor to develop an economic value of nursing model. 
All views that are that will be presented here today are, are my own and do not represent any of my organizational affiliates. First, I would like to start with a brief overview of value-based payment and what broad-scale implementation of value-based care means for the nursing profession. The ongoing value-based payment reform is important for nurses because it aligns reimbursement with high-quality and cost-effective patient care. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act of 2010 introduced the value-based payment model. The model links payments to patient outcomes and care costs. Poor outcomes and high costs lead to lower reimbursements and vice versa. Currently, three programs link hospital payments to the value of patient care. They are the Value-Based Purchasing Program, the Hospital Acquired Conditions Reduction Program, and the Hospital Readmissions Reduction Program. Many hospitals face penalties for underperformance, resulting in tangible financial consequences. Figure one shows the domains of the value-based purchasing program. Patient outcomes are divided into patient satisfaction domain, the dark blue, clinical outcomes domain, the orange, safety outcomes, the gray, and together they comprise three quarters of the hospital performance score. Cost of care, represented in yellow, is the remaining 25% of the performance score. Over time, the transition to value-based payments shifted the financial reward system from process, from process compliance, highlighted in blue, to improve care outcomes and reduce costs. In the essence, it led to a more outcome and cost-driven reimbursement system in healthcare. Hospitals and other healthcare organizations are frequently blamed for putting profits over patients. Unfortunately, there's a lot of truth to, truth to this. In our market-based healthcare economy, hospitals must be financially competitive to survive. Although hospitals might truly care about their nurses and patients, their ability to do so is dependent on hospital finances. The key financial variable that determines a hospital's long-term financial sustainability is the operating margin. The operating margin is the difference between earned operating revenue and operating costs. In value-based care, revenue is determined by the volume of, volume of admissions, plus or minus value-based penalties or rewards, also called pay-for-performance incentives. The revenue should be sufficient to cover all operating costs including wages and non-labor expenses. A positive operating margin, when the earned revenue exceeds the cost, allows the hospital to spend more on nursing budget. A negative operating margin means that the earned revenue is insufficient to cover the operating costs. When this happens, organizations must resort to budget cuts, leading to salary cuts, layoffs, and understaffing. Whether practicing as a nurse practitioner in independent practice or as a registered nurse in the hospital or working in a community setting, all nurses are affected by the, by the transition to value-based payment. Nursing plays a dual role in supporting organizational revenue. First, nurses are the largest healthcare profession and they provide the majority of hands-on patient care. 
Studies show that the quality of nursing care has direct implications for patient outcomes, including failure to rescue, hospital mortality, hospital-acquired infections, falls, readmissions, and other outcomes. Nurses are also not naive to cost-effectiveness. They know when they see wasteful use of time of resources, low-value care, or lack of fiscal responsibility. Yet, nurses themselves are costly to organizations. In many hospitals, nursing salaries alone account for 30 to 50% of hospitals' operating expenses. In the value-based healthcare environment, the key question guiding resource allocation towards the nursing budget is whether it is expected to generate more revenue than what it is expected to cost. Hospitals will spend more on budget lines with a known positive balance of revenue over the cost and less on those where the balance of revenue to cost is unfavorable or unknown. Unfortunately, nursing often falls in the latter category. This is due to a lack of quantifiable financial data highlighting nurses' positive contribution to organizational financial performance. It is up to nurses to understand, quantify, and articulate their economic value. Multiple national service or registered nurses show that nurses believe they have a right to work on well-staffed well units, have employer-provided opportunities for personal growth and, pro and professional development, and have a well-paying and secure employment contract. Nurses are well within their rights to expect this. After all, patients come to hospitals for nursing care. Without nurses, hospitals would not exist. Yet the expectation that responsibility for meeting nursing ne nursing's needs less, lies solely with the employer should be retired. For too long, organizations have been unable to fully appreciate nurses' contributions to positive economic outcomes. It is time that nurses must accept part of the responsibility for demonstrating their own professional worth and value to the organizations that employ them. Not all employers will immediately change their view of nurses' financial importance. So what is the economic value of nursing? Under value-based care, the economic value of nursing is defined as the ratio of nursing's combined contribution to revenue and cost avoidance divided by nursing attributable, nursing attributable organizational cost. That includes wages, bonuses, benefits, improvements in the work environment, and tuition incentives, and other nurse-related expenses. The higher nursing's contribution to organizational revenue and cost avoidance, the higher is the economic value of nursing. The higher it is viewed by organizations, the more resources will be devoted to nurses. Yet paradoxically, the more an organization has to, the more an organization has to spend on nursing-related costs, the lower the um, organizational commitment to nurses will be. So what can nurses do to advocate for and demonstrate their economic value? Let us carefully consider both the numerator and the denominator of the value equation. The numerator represent, represents nurses' contribution to revenue and cost avoidance. Because under value-based payment, revenue is largely determined by discharge volume and pay for performance incentives. Any nursing intervention that positively impacts the capacity of the organization to serve more patients and improve patient outcomes will be revenue contributing. 
This means, for example, that nurses might think about interventions that reduce patient length of stay while maintaining patient satisfaction and quality and safety outcomes. To contribute to cost avoidance, nurses must seek to identify and eliminate wasteful use of clinical time and resources, of operational inefficiencies leading to bottlenecks and delays in care, and overspending. Finally, focusing on the denominator that reflects the cost of nursing itself, a direct cost reduction approach, approach is not appropriate. This is because nurses must advocate for expanded resource allocation to allow them to fully engage in value creation. Nurses must also seek innovative models of care that may allow them to achieve more with less. Virtual care is one example that may someday allow for both increased flexibility in their staffing and improved quality care at the same time. It may, however, take some time before organizational investments in innovative models of care pay for themselves financially. It is up to nurses to understand, to, to understand, quantify, and articulate their economic value. This can be done through value-informed nursing practice. Value-informed nursing is nursing practice and leadership that focuses on maximizing the economic value contribution of the nursing profession. Its goal is to achieve desired patient outcomes while also promoting efficient use and cost reduction. Practicing value-informed nursing means being actively engaged in thinking about economic value. In daily clinical practice, this means seeking ways to eliminate waste and inefficiencies and own fiscal responsibility for the use of resources in the unit. More broadly, value-informed nursing also means being creative and seeking new innovative models of care that can transform nursing care delivery and improve consumer outcomes and value. To prove the economic business case for improved resource allocation towards nursing, nurses, nurses of all levels must engage in value-informed thinking as part of the nursing lens. For bedside nurses, Value-informed nursing means being judicious and using the smallest amount of resources possible to achieve a desired outcome. For nursing leaders, value-informed nursing demands strong and brave leadership at all organizational levels. Leaders must track and quantify organizational financial benefits that result from consistent practice of value-informed nurses. Leaders must also advocate for a clear and equitable redistribution of these financial benefits back to nursing budgets. Leaders must be prepared to take on the potential pushback from medicine and administration. For too long, our healthcare system has been the way it is. Complex systems can be resistant to change. Finally, nursing leaders should motivate and reward nurses who promote efficient resource use and cost containment. These nurses must also be protected from potential backlash. Before we move on, I wanna clarify the importance of stating what value-informed nursing practice is not. Although you should be judicious of resource use, deciding it is okay to withhold or delay care that a patient was ordered 
or asking for is not value-informed nursing practice. Although you should question implementation of redundant, unnecessary, low-value processes, cutting corners on quality or safety of patient care, or choosing to omit checks, steps, or checklists is not value-informed nursing practice. Although you should seek innovative value-enhancing ideas, trying them on your own without proper vetting and testing is not value-informed nursing practice. Value-informed nursing practice does not mean that does not mean sacrificing the quality and safety of patient care to save money. The public relies on nurses to provide the highest quality care, and this oath must not be broken for money. I wanted in the last part of my presentation to talk about the, the ethical imperative uh, for, the, um, for the pursuit of value-informed nursing practice. Professional nurses are bound by their social contract to be at the forefront of key healthcare issues impacting the society. Nurses are also trusted to do so in a way that promotes the well-being of the current and future generations. The United States is the country with the highest spending on healthcare in the world, burning up societal resources that could be used to improve childhood education, combat poverty, and mitigate structural inequities and injustices that so many of the US, so many people in the United States struggle with. The high cost of care is number one health-related issue for the American public. In the 2018 survey, more patients were worried about the financial burden of their cancer treatment than about dying from cancer. High cost of care is also a key driver of socioeconomic and racial disparities in access to care. Vulnerable patient populations, those with low incomes and, raci and racial or ethnic minorities, are one and a half to two times more likely to reject the care they need due to high cost. Therefore, just as the delivery of high quality patient care is an explicit part of the nursing's social contract, so is a focus on the cost and value of patient care. By advocating for own economic value, nurses are enabling themselves and their healthcare system to provide the highest quality, affordable, equitable care that our patients and families, patients and families need and the public relies on. In summary of today's presentation, I wanted to highlight the following four key points. Value-informed nursing is nursing practice and leadership that focuses on achieving desired patient outcomes while also promoting efficient resource use and cost reduction. When doing so does not jeopardize the quality, safety, and efficiency of patient care. Value-informed nursing care requires engagement with innovative models of care that can support and elevate the nursing profession and transform our healthcare system to improve its value to the public. Nurses will need to purposefully consider the financial implications of their practice, take on part of the responsibility for securing their own economic well-being and financial sustainability, and view themselves as a profession strengthened by the diversity of human capital embedded in each individual nurse. Achieving these goals requires practicing nurses, leaders, education, 
um, educators and researchers working together to prepare nurses for value-informed nursing practice and leadership, which includes a deep understanding of value and the ability to identify, scale up, and disseminate value-informed nursing innovations. This is all of the remarks that I've prepared for today. I'm happy to answer questions and look forward to it. Wow, Dr. Yakusheva, you have given us so much to think about here. My head is just spinning. And I invite all my 109 colleagues on the call to just jump on here with any questions you might have. But while that's going on, what I would like to do is maybe ask you a question and generate some, excuse me, some, some conversation around the fact that today, when you walk onto a patient care unit, one of the things you hear, as well as hearing it in the nursing schools, whenever um, you go to any of the classes, there's the nurses are very focused on the tasks that they have to do. And I don't know if you have any ideas about how we, as a nursing leaders in society, begin to shift our nursing top of mind from task into outcomes. And where, where have you seen that go well? And, and what are some um, coaching that you could give us as nurse leaders that might be able to help us do that? Well, thank you, Sharon, for this really interesting question. I think, um, I think the way that we're sometimes framing this shifting from tasks to outcomes is not necessarily um, sort of correctly representing what needs to be done. Right, because tasks are important for outcomes. Yeah. We cannot achieve high quality outcomes without engaging in tasks that directly lead to those outcomes. I think what we're trying, what we're trying to say is that completion of a task is not the end goal of itself. Right. That nurses have to, in their everyday practice, as well as in research and education, nurses think about um, the end goal, right? The end point of those tasks. And the end point of those tasks are patient outcomes. And I would even say it's not even patient outcomes that are sometimes directly measurable by our healthcare systems, falls, hospital-acquired infections, um, readmissions, mortality. The end goal is improving the well-being of the patient and the quality of life of our patients' communities and populations, right? So these are all um, goals that we're going towards. So those goals help us, help us navigate not only um, sort of not only incentivize and motivate motivate us in engaging with the tasks that lead to those goals, but also um, in the way the achieving of the, the achievement of those goals or not achievement of those goals allows us to sort of compare the tasks in their uh, in their capacity to get us where we need to go, right? And that's what um, that's what value informed practice is, right? It's not that tasks are not important, but it is important to choose the to choose the way to perform a task that minimizes resource use, minimizes duplicative care. So the patient outcomes can still be achieved and even improved without quite as much of a use of resources, right? Our resources are stranded, um, our students are stranded, our um, young professionals are also stranded at work, as, as well as the nursing leaders. There's so much put into in, the profession, streamlining those processes, streamlining the tasks so that outcomes can be achieved in a more efficient way is what I think the focus should be on. We've, we've uh, had a chance to talk about this before, but I'm, I'm interested in you sharing 
why you don't use the word value driven and, and you, you use the word value informed? So um, it's, it's an interest, it's also an interesting question and very, very insightful one. I think um, there are different ways that different terms that are sometimes used interchangeably value based, value driven, and value informed. While they, each one of those terms sort of puts a weight on both quality and outcomes, as well as the costs, right? That's the definition of value. They each place differently, um, they each value those two components differently. Value driven to me is the strongest um, term that says that whether you reduce the cost or you improve the outcomes, value is all that matters, right? So value driven in my mind, and I think um, how some scholars are thinking of it, is allow us for the possibility of reducing the cost while also um, harming patient outcomes, as long as the harm to patient outcomes is not uh, um, is not great enough to sort of overcome or or um, um, negate the cost savings, right? So that's a very strong definition. I think value based puts an equal uh, equal weight on those um, on outcomes and costs of care, right? So I think that. Sort of from an, while it's a um, it's a positive imperative for healthcare system. I think nurses um, and other healthcare professionals, clinicians, they give a note to patients to you know to care about the patient outcome. And I think it's a little bit of maybe a little bit of a tall order for nurses to expect them to equally care about costs and outcomes. So I think when I um, when I was coming up with a um, correct term for um, what I view as value-informed care, because my vision is to have it focus on patient outcomes, but looking at the, but, but sort of seeing the achievement of the patient, patient outcome through a value lens, it is value-informed, right? The care that I, that I, nurses, I, I propose that nurses should be providing is value-informed care. It's not value-based, it's not value-driven. And I think it's um, ethically is the correct framework at this point in time for the nursing profession. Right. Very, very important differentiation that you just gave us. So I have a question from one of our uh, attendees that is a very good one. And I'm, I hope I'm saying your, your name correctly, McParu. And um, she has a question regarding nursing reimbursement and how that ties into this model. Because I know there's a lot of national attention right now on either a, a line item that shows this reimbursement came because of nursing or some type of internal mechanism to allocate any of the value-based payments toward a, a nursing cost center. So I'd love to hear your response to that. So I um, sort of a little, I'm gonna let you in on the secret. I made the presentation a little bit short, specifically to allow place, a space for this discussion. So I'm really glad somebody asked this question. Thank you very much. Um, the, one of the main reasons why hospitals currently may not have a business case for investments in nursing is the fact that our healthcare system does not reimburse hospitals for quality of care to the extent it should. Through all of the value-based purchasing programs that I've, uh, that I've listed, all of the uh, hospital performance incentive programs, penalties that are imposed on hospitals for poor quality of care, amount to only single percentages of hospital reimbursement. When you compare it to the 
investment in the nursing workforce that hospitals would have to undertake to move the needle on those quality outcomes, sometimes the value of this investment or the cost of this investment is simply not justifiable from the financial perspective because rewards, uh, financial rewards for achieving better outcomes are so small. Now compared across industries, the cost of quality or the price of quality is about 30% of the price of the product. And that's for low-tech products. For high-tech products, the cost of quality is about 50 to 70% of the price, right? So when you look at your cell phone, when you look at your TV, when you look at your computer, at least half of the price you're paying for it is all of the innovation and development and, and work that, that went into this product to make this product of better quality. In healthcare, it's not the case, right? Quality is not rewarded at a very high rate. And if we took this, um, if we sort of took the same model that only one or 2% of the price of the product was due to quality, you can only imagine what our consumer market would look like. Our cars would all be the same, minimally having four wheels and getting us places, maybe, maybe not, right? Our cell phones will be, um, would be, I can't, I, I have nothing against jitterbugs and I have elderly parents who all use them. Right, but not a jitterbug is not for everybody, right? This has minimal feature, features, large buttons, and that's what would be probably available to just about, um, you know, that was a, that would be the only uh, version that would be available, and they would all be the same, right? Um, so that's where, when, when the producer is not from the economics perspective, from the business perspective, when the producer is not is not adequate, adequately rewarded for the quality of the product they are gonna shift away their resources from quality and into quantity. And that is what is uh, happening with our healthcare system, right? So there are two ways. Um, so quality is not rewarded. And as a result, hospitals uh, have an economic, not all of them uh, do that, right? But the economic incentive that's driving our healthcare system is to staff units to the minimum amount, uh, to the minimum level of staffing to allow the pass through of patients. Right? because it's the volume of care that determines the majority of the, of the payment and not the quality of the care. Right? So um, in order to be able to staff units, and of course, nurses are seeing this, right? Nurses are not, you know, nurses are not immune to being able to um, see how poor staffing and poor attention to the nursing practice environment and the safety has a negative implication of patient outcomes. But again, from the financial perspective, the hospitals are subjected to the system where it's simply not economically viable for them to maintain high quality care consistently. So um, there's two ways of, of fixing this problem. One of the ways would be to increase the quality incentives on hospitals to about 30% of the of reimbursement, 30 to 50% of reimbursement. Now that would be tough, right? They, uh, I think rumor has it that when the um, Accountable uh, when the Affordable Care Act was first, first introduced and all of those um, pay for performance models were being designed, the um, intention was to increase those quality incentives continuously until it would become 25 to 30%. This hasn't happened and this hasn't happened because um, obviously moving quality is expensive and hospitals are struggling with their economic margins to begin with, right? So what, essentially what happens is the um, benefit of high quality care accrues to our consumers, right? And insurance companies. But the cost of high quality care, producing high quality care is um, squarely on the hospitals, right? And that misalignment in the healthcare system is where it breaks down, right? 
the um the people and the public people in society who want high quality care are not paying for it the insurance companies are not paying for it and the hospitals that are in the position to provide high quality care don't have enough resources to actually be able to invest in it right so that's a very simple sort of economic model of where our healthcare system breaks down and that's where reimbursement um reimbursement which is the way uh, through which um the public pays hospitals for the care they um, for the care they receive. Reimbursement is what needs to be addressed to be able to fix this, um, you know, the, the economic misalignment of incentives or economically broken model. One of the ways would be for hospitals to be able to directly bill for nursing care, right? If patients get a bill, if insurance companies get a bill for nursing care that's separate from um, the hospital bill, right? And that nursing care gets reimbursed then you shift the cost of nursing care onto the consumer, onto the insurance, insurance companies and consumers who are also the beneficiaries of high quality nursing care. And that sort of aligns the incentives a little bit better. Um, the other way would be to um, leave, leave it to the hospitals to figure out how to uh, have their ends meet and just put higher quality, um, quality of care incentives to rewards and, and um, penalties on hospitals. Right, so there are um, there are a number of approaches that this that this can be, you know, this can this situation could be improved, and I think it's just going to take us time to figure out which one is going to work. Very good, very good. Yeah, thank you for walking us through that. And so um, another one of our our guests, um, Nancy Ballard, uh, talks about developing the connection between the outcome of interest in the care delivery as a reflection of their practice is key messaging to nurses. I think we just made a comment about that. You know, I, I think the other piece of that is that if we really do want to uh, report, measure, report, and have reliable data, it's incumbent on hospitals to have adequate systems to do that. So Olga, when you think about being able to report like the, the the cost avoidance that you talked about, what are some key pieces in, in a healthcare system that must be present in order for us to be, uh, be willing to do that, therefore deliver some of the key messaging that Dr. Ballard talks about? Well, so um, cost avoidance is one thing. The other thing is the incremental revenue generation that could be achieved through um, you know, value-informed nursing practice. I'll start with the cost part of it first. Um, lots of, so, Healthcare costs are expensive. Hospitals know what um, hospital know their costs, right? And their cost allocation systems that can allocate their cost to patient level, pretty you know pretty effectively, right? And um, John Bolton has a lot of uh, has done a lot of work on this, so we can allocate cost to patients, and that's not you know that's sort of mathematically and um, technically not a very difficult task. Um, the question is. Um, Again, um, the question arises from sort of the basic economic principle that what consumers value is not the cost of care, but the outcome of care, right? We do not, we won't buy a um, poorly constructed car and or we won't pay a lot for a poorly constructed car just because it took um, a lot of cost to make and design it, right? If it's a poor design, Consumers don't care how much, um, you know, how much cost and labor and 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 other resources went into making it. They're not going to buy it, 
right? So fundamentally, the way that our economy works is consumers should pay for the value of care and the quality of care that they're receiving, right? So from that perspective, sort of measuring, measuring the cost is good only insofar as it tells organizations how to deliver that quality more effectively. Nurses can, um, I mean, again, calculating the cost is pretty easy. Um, if a nursing intervention reduced uh, reduces readmissions, let's say by you know eleven percent, calculating the cost again, um, those readmissions are for the specific conditions that are not reimbursed um, within thirty days, right? Then it, it's easy to calculate how much cost a healthcare organization is saving. Right? I, I recently talked to um, a CNO of a large hospital system. And they have introduced the new ambulatory care protocol in which they were able to significantly drive down readmissions, like avoiding uh, tens, tens of thousands of readmissions for their system annually. They, you know, in that particular case, I asked them how much, you know, how much money do you think you saved to the healthcare system? Did you ask for any of this back? And I think it was a question that the CNO was not prepared to answer. Right. And because that's something that nurses typically and nursing le leaders typically do not, you know, do not focus on this converting saved costs or improved outcomes into monetary terms. And I think that's what needs to be happening more frequently. Right. So thinking, uh, thinking about what nurses do, thinking about what they might do differently, thinking about how the outcomes and the costs might change and sort of putting the dollar sign towards both the improvement in outcomes and the reduction in costs is what is 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 the way of making of paving the way to um, growing the economic value of nurses and demonstrating the economic value of nurses to organizations and when you come to the c suite with um, you know with saying that here's what we nurses did and, you know we trialed it we implemented it and we're saving now after implementing this intervention um, we are saving the hospital system you know, $3 million a year easily. Like it, most nursing interventions, when you put a dollar sign to it, they um, they save hospitals, um, you know, several million dollars a year. Getting part of this back into the nursing budget, right? Coming in with a number and getting part of it back into the nursing budget is what needs to happen more consistently, right? Because yeah. it's all about money. So at the very least, your hospital or healthcare system would need to have a cost accounting system that commonly is part of your budgeting system so that you do have a way in order to, to measure that. So that's a wonderful CNO CFO dialogue uh, for you to begin a conversation around, around what's possible. So yeah. thank you for mentioning that. I wanna raise one more comment here okay. that uh, Lynn Kuhl makes that I think is very important. Um, and then hopefully we're gonna be able to bring one of our, uh, one of our folks online uh, to ask their question live. Uh, but Lynn asks, please provide suggestions for operationalizing value-based nursing at each level. And I know, Olga, that you mentioned clinical nurses uh, at the first line of care, and you also mentioned advanced practice. Um, and so she says, how do we translate this front line to the boardroom and then to policy? And so that's that's uh, the question she brings forward. Yeah, no, no, that's great. So value-informed nursing is not sort of a magic, it's not a magic formula, it's not a magic equation. But I think um, a lot of times it's just, um, you know, it's it's using the common sense that um, 
people use in all of their areas of life to begin with, right? We practice value-informed parenting. We don't think about it, but we do, right? When we, um, we, especially if you have multiple children and you have multiple other demands within your household and um, you have and you have a limited amount of uh, finances that you have to divide um, divide against the multiple, you know, multiple different budget items. You you know, everyday practice value-informed parenting, you practice value-informed um, living, right? So that's sort of the same type of thinking that needs to be brought into the workplace. And not to say that nurses already are not doing this, right? They, they are already doing this. It's quantifying that contribution that needs to happen, right? Because I don't, I mean, I, I hear a lot of stories. Once, once I talk about value-informed nursing with, um, with hospital systems and practicing nurses, they're, you know, they're already doing it. They're like, oh yeah, well, there was this one time when um, there was in in our um, in our imaging department, we used to give out CDs with patient um, X-rays, right, to patients, and each CD was a dollar twenty-five. And they decided that uh, a nurse decided that they're no longer going to do this, and they're just going to provide images to the patients via the patient portal with no CD, right? Saved millions of dollars to the organization. They never quantified it. Right, they never they never accounted the contribution of that one little tiny um, example of value informed nursing to the financial bottom line of the organization. So I think it's not it's not that nurses are not practicing value informed nursing. I think they are. I mean, you might think of some examples where um, nurses might not be you know might be thinking that sort of worrying about cost and revenue and financial aspect is not part of who nurses are. And that's something that's unbecoming of nurses. But I think, you know, as our healthcare system is becoming more value driven, I mean, I think it's, I think the majority of nurses are already sort of thinking in value informed terms. They're just not putting dollar signs to it. And that's what needs to be happening. One way for nursing leaders to encourage value informed nursing would be to um, introduce and that's what was done in one of the organizations I recently talked to. They introduced um, value improvement fellowships. Just like before they had quality improvement fellowships where nurses were given uh, paid time off and um, sort of incentives, um, sort of promotion incentives, um, um, career ladder incentives for completing value uh, quality improvement fellowships. And had you know, and they had a fair every every year where nurses were presenting their posters for ideas on how to improve the quality and safety of patient care. They simply expanded it to incorporate the cost, right? So, in not only they, what they were asking nurses to come up with ideas to improve the quality and patient of, and safety of patient care, but also how you can reduce the cost and resource use without sacrificing the sacrificing the quality and safety. So that's one small step, right? That allows for more ideas to pour in, and it's very aligned with sort of this value informed nursing thinking. You know, value informed nursing thinking. Yeah, very I, good. I could, you know, I could provide many examples, but again, it's not anything. I, um, you know, it's not anything magical. We're already doing this. That's right. So I would love to bring in Kathy Ivory. Um, Adarsh, if you would, would please bring Kathy in. She has a fabulous question about data. So uh, Kathy, if you're willing for us to give you, uh, put you on camera and let you make your comment live and ask your question live here with uh, Dr. Yakusheva. Hi, everybody. Hi, Olga. Olga and I are colleagues on the ANCC Enterprise uh, Research Council. So we've had we've had this conversation, but I, I would just like to circulate to the group that 
um, so much of the way that um, reimbursement happens in healthcare is through the generation of things like ICD codes and procedure codes and all of D DRGs and all of those coded um, processes that have that were created for reimbursement. Um, and nursing services has not been um, organized or the data that is generated by nurses has not been organized in such a way that it is easy to quantify all of those uh, nursing care processes that nurses engage in. Um, but there are ways that that what we do can be organized. It's just not ever been widely done. Um, and Olga, you mentioned John Welton's work, um, and he has um, he has been studying the value of nursing for for years and has um, been able to do some demonstration projects on, yes, equating what happens with nursing and what happens with the patient. And that's great in small demonstration projects. But I'm thinking about the notion of um, broadly organizing the data that nurses generate in a way that is collatable and shareable um, across settings. So it's not just good that I know what it is in my organization, and I agree we should also be able to speak to it, but how do we get to and how should nurse leaders advocate for us all to be organizing um, the data that we generate in such a way that it can be quantified and used to uh, for value-informed nursing? So Kathy, in your mind, where does the um, unique identifier for each nurse come into that. I understand that uh, many systems like Epic already have that capability, uh, but it's never been activated. Is that important, Olga and Kathy? I think it absolutely is important. And I, I think we have a uh, we have some um, some conversation happening on uh, what uh, you know what a unique nurse identifier should be, um, and uh, and we had a question earlier about uh, reimbursing nurses for care, which really would necessitate a national provider ID or an NPI number. Um, but at the bedside, um, there is a number that is already associated with every nurse. They get assigned that number when they are, uh, they get a nursing license, it follows them wherever they go, wherever they work and in what setting. And that is the, uh, the NCSBN ID. Um, and if th those of you who are, um, who are direct care or, or non-advanced practice nurses um, can go into um, NCSBN and you can see what your ID is right now. And uh, many of us, I don't think even knew that we had it. Uh, but yes, I think um, our larger EHR vendors are um, are building placeholders for um, a unique nurse ID. Uh, I, there's there's lots of um, advantages to letting it be the ID that we already have available to us, and then collating and um, uh, aggregating our data based on that ID, which adds a level of anonymity to the way that we're collating data um, in that that ID doesn't need to be known to anybody but the but the nurse who has it. Um, although it's it's easily it's easily found, it's not necessarily 
um, it's not naming a nurse, in other words, if we were to collate um, examples of nursing care um, by that ID. But yes, absolutely important. Good. So all part of, of standardizing data. Thanks yeah. for asking that. Yep, Kathy, thank you. And thanks for letting me put you on the spot today and bring you in. So I'm going to go to my colleague, Tim, and just see if he has any final question here. You all have... Um, have done a great job uh, to answer the quick question, is value uh, part of nursing education? And I would say uh, from asking my colleague, Dr. Cara Monica, uh, she says, yes, but do we really know what's important to teach? So I think some uh, curriculum development around the topic of value would be great. So Tim, I'll go to you. Thanks, Sharon, and uh, thanks, Olga. This has just been uh, delightful, but, but you can see we just, we just really scratched the surface and there's a whole landscape we have to unfold here. But just a, a question with regard to, uh, for example, if nurses reduce waste and cost, for example, isn't there an algorithm where they can claim or negotiate a percentage of the value of that cost they reduce and have it returned to nursing? Um, I don't think there's currently a mechanism for this, but I think it needs, I think originally, before we build those systems, right? Uh, originally, we need to at least try to figure out what those numbers are and have sort of, and I wouldn't call them demonstration projects as much as just walking to the C-suite and saying, look guys, this is what we've saved. How about, you know, like we get part of it back or based on the, all of the previous things that um, our team has done or our unit has done, we've saved X million of dollars for the organization. Here's the next thing we're gonna do. Why don't you guys help us with that, right? We need to be better staffed. So, but it allows, uh, I think the first step to, to, you know, to sort of having a formal system that will um, automatically and mechanically reimburse nurses or give nurses a kickback for everything they do. I think first, uh, the first step that needs to happen is empowering nurses to come into the negotiations with a healthcare system with numbers, right? Because at this point in time, I have talked to so many CNOs who are talking about, you know, not being able to have their budget needs met, right? Their budgets are being cut, right? And and I had a conversation with the CNO who was so upset at um, at hospital administrators that they're not letting them have a person, a role within. Um, I I don't want to identify the hospital, uh, the 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 situation, but there was a specific role that nursing was advocating for keeping that role within you you know within the employment structure of the hospital and um and the role was important for patient outcomes for nurse outcomes for sort of a lot of those things that hospitals should stand for and say they stand for and yet they could not justify keeping that person to the c-suite and the person ended up being let let go and um and i think that's where in my conversation with that with that cno it became clear to me that we're thinking about it the wrong in different ways, right? As an economist, so um, cost managers and financial people, their role and job is to support financial sustainability of the healthcare system, right? It's not; it's simply not their job to worry about the quality of patient care, right? Our healthcare system and operationally is very compartmentalized. Right, we have people whose role it is to quality about uh, to, to, whose role it is to um, 
to um, care about nursing education. These are the nursing education folks. We have people whose role it is to care about the quality of patient care. And those are QI folks and the research folks. There, there's, you know, there are people whose role it is to provide best patient care. And that's nurses. And there are people within the healthcare system whose role it is to make sure that financially the ends of the system meet. Right? And those are the people who will insist on, it's, it's their role to make decisions that are financially viable to the organization. It's their decision to have a cold heart and to put profits over patients, right? That is their job. So um, I think what needs to sort of recognizing the differentiation of the roles and jobs and responsibilities and values within, you know, within the system itself is an important aspect. So what I guess what I'm, my, it's my long way of saying that if nurses want their needs met, right, the needs of the patients met, they have to speak the language of, of finance. They have to be able to come to the C-suite and to the, uh, to the financial officer and to the cost, the cost accounting, whatever department, and say, look, this is how much cost we're saving you, or this is how much revenue we're making you, right? So please keep this person. It's pivotal. Only when you talk that language is when this healthcare system, the roles within the healthcare system, whose whose um, whose contract it is to make sure that the financial ends meet, they will listen to nurses. I love that. I just think that's such a, a fine way to end your comments. And thank you, Tim, for the great question. But I just wanted to say thank you for this audience. Oh my goodness, what wonderful questions you've all brought about. And and I think this conversation today is exactly what we need in order to start to challenge the status quo of our profession. Uh, Tim, one comment before I roll into what happens next. I can just uh, resonate with what you said, Sharon. And uh, Olga, this has been a wonderful contribution and a conversation starter. And I think uh, um, both of you, your, your challenge to the, to the nurse leader is this has to be on the top of your priority list. This whole notion of value emerges out of the struggles we had um, during COVID that really, really indicated how not having this discussion impacts nurses at so many levels and the organization as well. So uh, this has been really valuable and I really appreciate uh, you being here and, and us being a part of this dialogue. Thanks, Sharon. Yep, yep. So um, I would like to let the audience know that the next webinar will take place Monday, February 19th, from noon to one Eastern Standard Time. Our speaker will be Katherine Gillis, who's the Margaret Madden Stiles Professor of Nursing and former Dean and Associate Vice Chancellor for Nursing Affairs at the University of California, San Francisco. Her topic is entitled, Where is the Riz in Academic Healthcare? Transforming Academic Medical Centers. There you go, there's our picture and there's our, our next thing and there's your QR code in order for you to register. So we're excited to have this conversation with Dr. Gillis and we hope you will add your voice and your perspectives to that conversation as well. Be sure to register for this event. We also encourage your colleagues and other leaders to attend as well. The more people we involve in these discussions, the greater the impact that we can have. So your job today is to have a conversation with your CFO about cost accounting and to begin to quantify financial as well as quality outcomes that nurses who practice in your organizations achieve. Thank you for being here today and we'll see you next time. My pleasure. <laughs>